It was missionary theologian E. Stanley Jones that once said, when Satan attacks you, command him in the name of Jesus to bend his neck. And on the back of his neck, you'll find that there is a nail-scarred footprint. What a beautiful reminder. The victory that we have in Jesus. In fact, we should have sang victory in Jesus. Thinking about this image of the nail-scarred footprint on the back of the enemy. Meaning Christ is the victor. And the words of the Lord Jesus echo through the ages and in eons into eternity, saying, whoever is not against us is for us. And another way to sum this up can be found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. Hopefully this is a familiar verse to you that says, what then can we say about all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, I began to think about that. If there was an anthem that we can raise today as the church triumphant, marching in the name of Jesus, I began to think if there was an anthem or a tune that we can sing today on the victory we have in Jesus, an anthem that we could raise, it would be something to the effect, if God be for us, who can be against us? And in fact, the song that we sang just a little moment, a moment ago in our songs of worship, our God says, and if our God is for us, then what can stand against us? And so it is a perfect reminder of God's faithfulness. But it is also just as important to remember not only God's faithfulness, but to remember that we are to serve our God. In fact, every Christ follower whose name is the name of Jesus is to serve the Lord in some way. And so we reflect on God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. One of the most beautiful songs, I believe, that is written. His faithfulness. And I would even go as far as to say that God's faithfulness fuels the servant's heart. Because I reflect on how faithful God is, I want to faithfully serve him. God has been faithful to me. I want to be faithful to him and serve him in some way. And so today's sermon has much to do with serving Jesus. But it is also a further examination of our intentions or our motives. And so I I have to ask you a fair question. I think it's a fair question. I have to ask myself this. We must ask these questions to ourselves as well. And so I would, like, I would not like to ask you in this moment, think about this question, hide it in your mind, write it down if you will. Why do you serve in the ministries that you serve in? What led you to those places of ministry? Was it uh, obligation? I serve here because it is expected of me. Are we truly serving in Jesus' name? That's the title of the sermon today, Serving in Jesus' Name. What led you to the places of ministry? Or I might go on as far as to ask, are we serving Jesus at all? 
Now, before we begin, I want to kind of clear the air a little bit. Some in-house matters before we begin in-house matters. Let me go ahead and just kind of clear the air. Our service to Jesus is not found in attending church. We're grateful for every worshiper who comes and sings. What a glorious sound it is to sing with the saints of God in an assembly such as this. But we have even got it wrong when we say, are you coming to church service today? Our service to Him is not found in our attendance. We worship with other believers, not as a service, but to fuel serving outside of these walls. In other words, to get the edification or the building up here to go out there. I don't know about you, but on Monday morning, I feel refreshed. Sunday evening, I might be a little drained because of the day, but on Sunday morning, when I reflect on on Monday morning, when I reflect on Sunday, and that's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, I'm edified. So in the next few minutes, I want to speak to you about our motives. Behind serving Jesus, I want to mention the damages or the dangers of jealousy in ministry as well. You know, for the past 50 years, there has been a buzzword amongst denominations, denominationalism, if you will. And this buzzword, hang on for just a moment, this one buzzword, you may have heard it, you may have not, I'll explain it to you in just a minute. This one word is ecumenical. Ecumenical is this idea of all denominations, many or some or all, coming together for one single purpose. Now that sounds good up front, doesn't it? All churches coming together for the same purpose. Now it sounds good as I say that up front, but there are doctrinal concerns and they are many. Now, before we move on kind of unpacking what this means, I want to ask you another question. You might say, Preacher Larry, you already asked me three questions already. How am I going to remember all of them? But I want to ask you this. Do you want to worship the Lord Jesus and give Him your life? And if your answer to that is yes, then that means we must worship rightly. Which means we must think about God and Christ rightly. We must have in our heart and mind who Jesus is and worship Him with the right motives. The churches can and should come together on some things. Come together on what we call first order doctrine or teaching. Meaning that we must affirm that God is the creator of all that we see. We must affirm that Jesus Christ is God, is divine. We must affirm that God is represented in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is divine, he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. There is no other way to approach God the Father but through the Son. These are first order doctrines. There is nothing to add to salvation. It is when other denominations or other things that have attached themselves to something that is unbiblical when red flags should be raised. 
And in those moments of unbiblical falsehoods and false teachings, we must run from that ecumenical moment. There are some things that we can come together on, and there are some things that we just simply can't. Sometimes coming together in this ecumenical sense can do more harm to the body of Christ than it does good because it can cause confusion. But also, think about the other side of this. Because when we get to heaven and we stand before Christ, He isn't going to say, enter in thy good and faithful Southern Baptist. He isn't going to say, enter in thy good and faithful Presbyterian or or Methodist. When we reach heaven, when we come face to face with Christ, we'll have perfect understanding. But we will not be worried about whether or not we meet denominational standards or denominational or Baptist distinctives. We will not care about those things. Because we will be enamored with the person and the glory of Jesus. That will be our preoccupation. That will be our treasure. Jesus. But until then, until we reach heaven, we strive to preach what is right, to teach what is right, to stand on the word of God, to stand on truth, to preach it and proclaim it verse by verse, no matter what the cultural relevancy and the temperature of the culture might be, even when the cultural relevancy and the temptation to buckle under the world's twisted demands are ever-present. And the world today has laid, if you have not been watching the news, I, I would say that you need to start watching the news. Because our religious liberties are hanging in the balance. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us in its twisted demands. And <clears throat> Today's episode will help us lay the groundwork. What, what does it mean to serve in Jesus' name? When is it appropriate to join up with others in differing denominations or in different mindsets? When is it appropriate to do that? Speaking to Baptist men... Uh, there was about, as I asked Mr. Randy this morning, there was about six different denominations represented as serving in the Baptist on mission, serving in Jesus' name. So when is it appropriate? It is appropriate when the finished work of Christ is exalted with nothing added to salvation. John Wesley the Methodist Church, the Methodist movement. He said this, I want the whole whole Christ for my Savior, the whole book for my Bible, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission team or mission field. I can get behind that. But there's some things that we differ on. But I I can get behind that, serving in Jesus' name in this capacity. The whole world is my mission field. If you remember last week, the question was asked, who is the greatest? The disciples had some inner turmoil together amongst themselves. Who is the greatest? When the kingdom comes, who's going to be the greatest? Will it be Peter, James, or John who witnessed the glorified Christ 
on the, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Who's, who's, going to be, who's going to be the greatest? And we examined this fallen nature of humanity, something that we called total depravity, meaning that no matter how spiritual we think we are, outside of God's influence, we cannot even think rightly about who God is because our mind have been depraved. Sin has distorted the way of thinking and understanding the nature and character of God. We have a sense of who God is, but we can't rightly understand Him unless God is the agent involved in helping us to understand who He is. Why do you think that Jesus called out Peter in chapter 8 and verse 33? Why do you think that He called him out saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, the principles... And the truth that Jesus proclaimed in this moment. He said, if anyone would be last of all, if anyone would be first, he would be last of all and servant of all. You know why? Because God gets the glory. God gets the victory when his people are humbled. He gets the honor and he is exalted. I want God to be exalted. I want Christ to be exalted today. I've heard many preachers stand and proclaim God's word and would say, hide me behind the cross. So the message of humanity's humility is interwoven within the tapestry of Scripture. Not that they are humble, but God demands this humility. You must come as a child. So he begins to teach his disciples in a quiet time. and He gets them alone and begins to teach them and mold them and disciple them. And today's lesson is another teaching example from the words of the Lord Jesus, an example of the Lord Jesus. Today's lesson is one on serving in Jesus' name. Not in the strict Jewish setting that we see today, but serving next to people who you thought were infidels. Serving in Jesus' name. Working together in Jesus' name. Now, Mark is writing to a group of people, his Jewish audience. They were familiar with Jewish customs. They were, they were familiar with superstitions too. They were familiar with the word. And they were familiar with how they viewed the Gentiles. You've probably heard that term used quite a bit. Gentiles. Simply meaning Gentiles would mean this. They would understand anybody who was not Hebrew. Anybody who was not Jewish. Uh, the early Hebrew word for that would be the goy, the nations, the people. The Hebrew people were supposed to be a light to the nations around them. So anyone who was not called God's people in the Hebrew lineage was viewed as Gentile. And the readers at this time would have understood the tensions, the, the tensions of culture between the Romans who occupied the land, to the, Jewish, uh, to the Greek influence, meaning the language and the commerce. And they would have also understood, of course, something about themselves being called by God to be God's distinct people. So they understood what Mark was writing of. They, they understood the background. But now comes Jesus kind of shattering that way of thinking. Because he is demonstrating how to be open to working with others who are like-minded 
but might not look exactly like they do. This is a huge lesson for the church today. You know why? Because we all don't look the same. There are people the world over who serve the name of Jesus who don't look like you, who don't look like me. This is a lesson I think that we must learn today. In reality, God had planned for Israel all along to call the nations to the God that they worship and serve. God had given Moses the commands on Mount Sinai. And he had given them commandments so that his people could be a light to the rest of the nations and say, there is but one God. His name is Yahweh and we worship and serve him. Would you worship and serve him as well? And these are his demands. This is what he commands. This is his nature. And so the plans were bigger than just Israel. It would include the nations. Not just for one people group, but for the world. But years of misinterpretation led to the isolation of Jew and Gentile. Misinterpretation. And so Jesus is here. He's teaching his disciples how to bridge the gap and how to work together. Okay, here, here's John's tone. Okay, they just had been embarrassed for not being able to cast out this unclean spirit. And John says, teacher, we saw someone over there casting out a demon in your name. And like good disciples that we are, we tried to stop him because he wasn't a follower of us. We couldn't cast this out here, but over here we, we spoke on behalf of, of you. Without a, the inability to cast out the unclean spirit in the boy, John almost proudly gives Jesus some information. Someone who was driving out demon in the name of Jesus, the disciples saw it as opposition, and they weren't following us, he said. Now, the person in question is not mentioned, the name isn't given, but I believe the message there is still relevant. The message behind the action is timeless. It's a message of unity in the name of Jesus, and to work and serve in the name of Jesus is an act of worship. It all comes to how we worship God in everything we do, even as we serve Him. But there is a, there is a downside to this which I would submit to you, is not serving in Jesus' name. Bad examples of people using the name of Jesus. In fact, there is one in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, with the sons of Sceva, who were attempting to cast out demons by, quote-unquote, the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Now, they didn't know Jesus at all. They didn't know him. They didn't know his work. Just simply that Paul was preaching in Jesus' name. And some mighty works were done on behalf of, of Jesus, according to Paul. So let's do that too. Their motives were ill-placed. And this, this demon leapt on them and sent them out naked and wounded. It jumped on them. They didn't believe in Jesus. They were using the name of Jesus, if you will, for financial gain. They were using the name of Jesus to make a name for themselves. And you think that people are doing that today. They were trying to use the name of Jesus for ill gain and not with worshipful intentions. 
But I might even suspect that the disciples were affected by this inability to cast out the unclean spirit in the boy, just mentioned last week, and a little jealousy, a little envy may have crept in. Now the text is not clear here. It does not say, well, the disciples were jealous. But if jealousy and envy are part of the fallen nature that we struggle with, then it would be also appropriate to infer that they struggled with this as well. It's like looking for affirmation from our Lord, which we can all relate to, by the way. We want to be pleased. We want God to be pleased with us. I do, don't you? When I go home today, I want it to be so that God would be pleased with our worship. God would be pleased with the intentions of our worship. I think, I think we all want to be there, right? God wants to be pleased with how we serve Him. I, I want to be there. I hope you do. It's like they said, we failed here, but we did this well here. We rebuked Him. But a little embarrassment and a little jealousy can be damaging to our testimony. Now, let me explain. Sometimes we get like this the way the disciples. We see a church across town, or we see a church off somewhere who are doing better than, than we are. They have implemented something that we wish that we would have thought of, and we get a little jealous. The church of, over here is doing well. They got this program, and they have this program. Why can't we do that here? Well, because our context might not meet what they are doing there. We might get a little jealous or envious. This church across town or over in the state is growing. And maybe we need to put some of those things in place here. And if they're following Jesus as their example, and I hope they are, well, maybe there are some things that we could say, you know, well, they're following Jesus, so let's follow them as they follow Jesus here. But we have to look at our context. And I must say to this way of thinking, we don't have time to be envious of other ministries. There's too much to do. There's too much to do in the kingdom of God to be looking at someone else in another church and saying, they're doing that there, why can't we do that here? And to be pointed about it, our model is Jesus and not other churches. Our model is Jesus, the risen Lord. That is our model. He is our model. I will walk arm in arm any day with like-minded brothers and sisters in ministry, but my primary concern is this. Are we modeling Jesus? Verse 39, Jesus said to them, Do not stop him, for no one does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. And that's the, and that's the, the point if... He has, if he's serving me in Jesus' name, he'll not speak ill of me afterwards. And there's something important that I think we will miss if we're not careful. First, Jesus gives them commands, and this one command saying, do not stop them, but there is a prerequisite here. Do not stop them. There is a prerequisite. Accomplishing, here it is, accomplishing the mighty work in Jesus' name. That's the most important part about that statement. In Jesus' name. And what does that mean? The person doing the work in Jesus' name will not speak ill of Christ. So we watch their lives. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God will ever say that Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, listen, except in the Holy Spirit. But you, you know, as well as I do, people all over the world have done some atrocious things in the name of religion, and they have done some atrocious things in the name of Jesus the world over. I'll give you an example of this, the KKK. Now, I don't know if I'll get stricken off of social media for using that, but whatever. The KKK has established their organization with quote-unquote Christian principles. But nothing could be farther from the gospel truths than racism itself. Nothing can be so antithetical to the gospel that preaches whosoever will come. Nothing can be so antithetical to the gospel than that way of thinking that some are excluded. And so, yes, there are people who do works, if you will, or, or do endeavors in the name of Jesus that are not really worshiping the name of Jesus. To perform a mighty work in the name of Jesus carries the intentions that the person doing so is also worshiping or a worshiper. So we are worshiping Jesus in the way that we serve him. And the lesson in the few words is we must be tolerant of other denominations. But we also need to be careful of this word tolerant. We can only usher one another so far to the threshold of wrong teaching. To where we say we cannot pass. I will walk with my brothers and sisters in ministry as far as I can go. But when we get to the threshold of works-based salvation, I must hold the line and go no further. And this all goes back to the mighty works in His name, in Jesus' name. See, I, I can have a relationship and ministry alongside my Methodist friends, my Pentecostal friends, Presbyterian friends, my uh, holiness friends. Well, I grew up in the holiness church. I got friends there. And I can walk arm in arm alongside in ministry with them in this ecumenical sense. Just as long as we are clear on the foundation of the good news and the lordship of Jesus. When that, va when that wavers, when that veers, I veer. Jesus said to John and others, stop hindering him, stop hindering him from the work of the kingdom. I wish we could say that much more. Stop hindering the work of the kingdom. See, this is an example of what we would call Christian toleration. But not in the sense of what we might see today in the, in the world. This toleration but only go but so far. When it infringes upon doctrine and right teaching, and, and when, it, when it distorts the image of Jesus, then there's issue. And within the body of Christ, even toleration goes but so far. Meaning, we tolerate until it infringes upon orthodoxy or right worship. When it gives me a distorted vision of who Jesus is, then I must refrain. 
Now, that being said, there should be unity in the members of the body of Christ. The lesson is difficult, I know. It is a lesson because we get trapped in our own little world. So there's two sides to this. The other extreme is that we get caught in our own little bubble, our own little world, and no one gets in. And sometimes we can carry a chip on our shoulder. Look at all that I have done in the name of Jesus. Look at all the work that I have done. Look at all the ministries that I am involved in. We think that we have arrived and no one else has arrived yet. No one else is serving in Jesus' name. It's just me. I'm alone. And so we carry this chip on our shoulder thinking that we have arrived. And reality is much more revealing It's like someone saying that I can't learn anything else from that church or Sunday school or sermons. And it doesn't take awful long before the Holy Spirit comes to knock that chip off our shoulder and show us a divine-driven purpose. I got to say this, we resemble Jesus more when we are united than we are separate. And there are some things that we can join together in. I, I remember my brother and I would, um, there, there, we had a few things that we did over the summer uh, because we had to make our own toys and things of that nature. And over the summer break, my mom really enjoyed, my mother, she really enjoyed sewing. And she had this, this pattern board that she would lay on the ground and she would, she would lay some fabric on it and cut it in that design. I don't, I, I don't know if any ladies ever have seen one of those, a big pattern board. Well, my brother and I thought it would be appropriate if we would break dance on that, on that, on that board. That's how we were doing all kind of break dancing moves, the the uh, centipede and the windmill or whatever it's called. And we would take those scissors to old magazines that we had laying around the house. These old magazines, and we would take it, we would cut out the heads off of some pictures and put those heads on bodies. Uh, yeah, we were bored. We would take these heads and we would put them on other bodies and we would laugh so hard because some of the heads were, they, they were not proportionate to the body. You had some little teeny heads on some bigger muscular bodies or some bigger heads on some little skinny bodies. And, and we laughed almost the whole summer doing this. And I got thinking about that. I got thinking of the parallel. If we could picture Jesus Christ as the head of all believers, Methodist, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, Baptist, whatever it might be, would the world laugh at us because of the disproportion? Or would they stand in amazement of how the body so closely resembles the divine head? Would they laugh at us because we're so off the charts and in so much doctrinal disunity? Or would they stand in amazement and saying, listen, that body looks like the head who is Jesus? Look at verse 40. 
For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And the ministry that you're in serving today, whether it is handing a cup of water to someone, whatever ministry that you're in right now, I have to say it is not your ministry. We often say that. Let the Lord bless your ministry. That the Lord has given us. It's His. It belongs to God Almighty. And sometimes we grip hold of those ministries so tight that no one will ever get it from our hands. We hold on tight to things instead of delegating. We hold on tight because we think that we can do it better and no one else can. But it belongs to the Lord. It's His. The fact that you can even utter the name of Jesus in the public square or hand a glass of water to someone who is thirsty is a great testimony of God's grace. We forget God's grace in ministry. And the one who is not against us is for us is also the same one who would not speak evil of Christ. In the words of theologian and linguist A.T. Robertson, he said, Some people imagine that they are really for Christ who refuse to take a stand in the open with Him and for Him. God has called us to do that. Then Jesus gets a little in-house. As He was speaking about serving in Jesus' name across economic and social barriers, which is what I'm speaking about. Then he brings it to them personally. I'm reminded again of the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4 that there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one, whether it's a glass of water or a preacher. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And whatever, he says, you do, wherever you serve, whoever we serve with, do so in the name of Jesus as an act of worship to Him. If our goal is to see people saved and transformed, which should be all of our goals, by all means serve Him. So let me ask you this in closing. Where is your place in the kingdom of God? We all have a talent. We all have a skill. We all have a passion that we can share. Maybe you don't feel that you fit in anywhere. But if you're a follower of Christ, you do. You fit in and you can serve Him. We are here to help you find that place of serving. In fact, one of of the things that you'll receive, if you say, hey, I want to be a member, you'll receive a ministry roster. And one of the things I will ask you is, where do you want to serve? Pray about it. Seek God. He'll use you. But I also want you to understand that these ministries are not ours. They belong to God. He just simply calls us to be stewards over them. Sometimes we're good stewards, and sometimes we're not.
So let me ask you this in closing again. Where are you at today? Fitting in within the kingdom, serving him. Are we serving in Jesus' name? Or are we just going through the motions? The Lord has called us to a sense of unity. He has called us to a sense of working together with other denominations, if you will, other people who hold the foundational truths of Christ as the author and finisher of salvation and his work and that, and that's it. Nothing added. Where are you at today in serving him? Are we serving in Jesus' name? Are you truly serving in Jesus' name as an act of worship? Or are we simply going through the motions? Would you pray with me?